Hello and welcome to episode four of the Booze, Booms and Bust pod. Uh, sorry, I'll read it. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Booze, Booms and Busts podcast, the podcast that tries to blend both investing and beer tasting and beer reviewing at the same time. My name is Boai Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Boaz. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to a couple of beers that I've not had before, and uh, as usual, uh, riffing on about the markets. Right, and it is uh, you know a very special day, or we are on the eve of a very special oh, day today. With uh, indeed, it is Independence Day tomorrow. You know, here in the UK, <laughs> we may finally be able to celebrate Independence Day to some degree, uh, just as as the Americans do with our with our pubs reopening tomorrow. It has been a very interesting week in the markets as well. Uh, we had uh, gold actually managing to hit a uh, pretty much an eight-year high earlier this week in dollars. And uh, eight years ago was pretty much the boom, you know, that was the apex of the, of the gold boom that had, uh, had really blown up after the financial crisis. And of course, there have been uh, plenty of other interesting stories. What with the, uh, the wire card st- scandal continuing? There was, in fact, uh, I, I believe uh, one of our sort of mild predictions from last week's podcast was made true, right, Sam? Uh, yeah, you're spot on. So about this time last week, we were talking about Wirecard's stock price being in the doldrums. And we were wondering when were the Robin Hood traders going to come for it? Because, you know, we had a look at a few uh, of the apps. I had a look at my trading app uh, that does free stock trading and it didn't have Wirecard. But some, somewhere, somehow, the, the Robin Hood brigade <laughs> had come to Wirecard. And I think on Monday, when I first checked into it, uh, it was up. It was up like another. It was up a few hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it it was it was crazy, right? Yeah. Are they, I think when I when I checked it first, it was one hundred sixty four percent for the day. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like uh, I mean somebody out there, somebody managed to call the bottom and made bank out of it. Uh, but in terms of the on the beer side, we should of course what introduce what we're going to uh, drink and review today uh, while we discuss. Uh, market happenings. So uh, up first, we have uh, El Dorado IPA Deluxe Edition uh, from a brewery called Polly's. And that is not to be mistaken with Loca Polly, which is a brewery in Wales. Polly's is, uh, Polly's is a very nice uh, brewery, Polly's Brew Co., which is in Flintshire, in Mould, Blackbrook. Yeah, so this is Holland Farm, Blackbrook, Mould, Flintshire, and um, Flintshire. And the postcode is CH7. So uh, is uh, is pretty... Uh, Pretty English, I would say. Uh, but in terms of uh, what this actually is, uh, this is a fresh, modern, and vibrant beer produced with passion from Polly's Old Farm in our hometown of Mould. Actually, no, I'm incorrect. I'm saying this is in, in England. This one is in North Wales. Uh, perhaps, in fact, uh, Polly's is actually a modification of Loka Polly, that other brewery. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll have to take... Uh, we'll clear that one up, yeah. yeah, we'll yeah. Have, to, anyway, have to look into Sam, that. Uh, yeah, have you uh, poured yours out? You want to take a sip? I have. I've, I've poured and, and had a little bit of a taste already. And um, yeah, you know, so this is, this is a very, I think, uh, very traditional style kind of IPA. Have a good whiff of it and it gives, gives that, that distinct IPA taste uh, smell right off the bat. Um, I, I was just thinking as you were reading out where, where this is from, at some point, I really, we, we really need to, to travel to these, to these places, but like Flintshire, I don't know where Flintshire is, or the the hometown of Mould in North Wales. Again, no idea. I mean, I'm not I'm not that far from Wales where I am, so you know it's a bit of a hop, skip, and a jump uh, just to get over there. But um, 
yeah, I mean, looking at the actual Polly's can, that's that's one of the prettier labels I think I've ever seen. And it's quite interesting yeah. that you were talking about the price of gold earlier. Um, and the name of, of Polly's, this one, the El Dorado IPA. Obviously, El Dorado being the, you know, one of the fabled legend, um, mysterious legends of, of, of our time and, and the, the gold city, um, you know, whether it exists, you know, people have searched for the, for the great lost city of El Dorado before. Um, and yeah, some, somewhat, somewhat applicable to, to the, I think, the mystique and the allure that perhaps surrounds the gold markets uh, and, and gold bugs and gold investors. Yeah, yeah, treasure. There's that allure of, of treasure. But, oh, by the way, I have just checked. It does look like Polly's Bruco, Bruco is, the, uh, is a rebrand of Loca Polly. So I think this is actually, it is, it is to be confused <laughs> with, with Loca It Poly. is. <laughs> it is confused, but, but at the same time, very clear. Hmm. Yeah, there can only what are your so thoughts many... on uh, on this one? Yeah, yeah, there can only be so many so many polys out there, uh, and like Loca Poly, which made very good very good beer, polys. Uh, similarly, this is uh, I'm I'm really enjoying this. This is a uh, a very nice IPA. It tastes it is a very strong sort of IPA flavor. Lots of hops there. It's like a classic, but on a classic IPA, but on steroids. I would say. What's your take? Yeah, on it's that? got a it's got a fair whack of um, of alcohol in there at seven percent too. So. Um, I, I, I am estimating by the time we sort of wrap this podcast up, I'm going to be halfway, uh, halfway cut, as we would say, half cut, um, as we say back in Australia, when you've had a couple of reasonably strong alcoholic beverages. I have a question regarding that phrase because I've heard plenty of people saying they're half cut, and it sounds it sounds like a very cool <laughs> phrase. You know, to say, I, was, I was half cut. What does that actually mean? So, what what does it mean to be fully cut or not cut? Well, see, it's, it's one of those things, right, where there is no such thing as full cut and there is no such thing as a non-cut. You are either half cut or there's just nothing else. The other spectrums are completely <laughs> different phrases and words. Uh, para is, is one which would be equivalent to um, full cut. So para being short for paralytic. Um, right. you know, so you pretty much go from um, uh, Billy No Mates, which is Stone Cold Sober, to half cut to para, um, right. and there's there's really not much in between, or at least that that was sort of the experience growing up um, in suburban Australia or suburban Melbourne in Australia. It, it is quite uh, quite an elegant way of describing being inebriated, like in uh, in Aberdeen and uh, more throughout Scotland. I mean, there are some pretty harsh harsh words used to to describe being uh, being hammered. I mean, you could be slashed or you could be slashed. Bluetered mm -hmm. is something uh, I've uh, I think I use quite a lot, just sort of uh, subconsciously. Um, but yeah, to to, to be described as simply as parrot or to be half cut, you know, it sounds quite uh, quite dignified, I would say. Though of course, uh, maybe the reality would be uh, slightly different. Yeah, half cut's not a bad state to be in. Um, you know, you you wouldn't jump in the car and go for a, a country yeah. country lane drive. You'd probably end up in a hedge. Uh, but at no point should you really drink and drive anyway. Um, not that that stops people over here. I tell you what, that's one thing I know. I mean, Australia is not exactly uh, renowned for not being the drink drive culture, but uh, over here in the UK, it's, uh, it's equally as bad, if not worse. It's just that people seem to get away with it more. I mean, you can't on a Friday night, you can't drive down the street in, uh, in Melbourne without having been pulled over by a RBT a random breath test um, or one of the booze buses that literally just blocks the road and, and 
and, and ushers cars like sheep into a pen where you get breath and now drug tested. Um, so, I mean, you, you know, you just don't want to, you don't want to be going down that route, but over here, people seem to get away with it. Cause just, you never had, like, I've never seen a booze bus. I don't even think you have booze buses in the UK. I think you do. I think you do. But uh, I, you don't, you know, you don't want to be in that kind of situation where you're trying to find out. Never, never, never. So we do not condone drink driving. Uh, right. You should always drink and walk. You know, there's uh, we can, uh, we can sort of uh, segue slightly from that. Uh, a while back, uh, there was uh, somebody who, while they were, well, actually, there's been a few cases of this of people uh, you know, drunkenly trading and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, not trading using their own account either, but uh, using their, their business accounts. So people at banks and at trading houses and the likes who have, uh, who have uh, you know, placed uh, trades that they really should not have been pl placing while under the influence. There was, uh, I think it was back in 2016, I think Jamie Dimon mentioned in one of these, uh, I don't know if it was an investor sort of conference or anything like that, but he joked about you shouldn't be drink, you know, you, you shouldn't be, uh, you know, shouldn't drink and trade, because he was talking about how an employee, a trader, had placed. I think it was, I now I I could be incorrect here, but I think it was three hundred million dollars notional interest rate trade using a using their phone uh, while at a bar. I I believe that was the. Uh, I believe wow. that was the parameters, uh, and that is, you know, it was 300 million notional. And of course, if it's in the interest rate space, you know, it could have been, um, you know, that that's not as it's not as major as like you know pouring 300 million dollars into a stock or something. But uh, you know, you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be in that position where you could really be, uh, uh, you know, bankrupting your own firm. There was that case of uh, somebody actually way before that. So that this is, I think, it was in the early 2000s, where uh, somebody at an oil trading firm actually managed. Um, uh, they, they had an alcohol problem big time, but they'd, uh, yeah, they'd been on some kind of, the company had sent them out on some kind of, you know, uh, sort of complimentary, nice thing to do over the weekend. He'd got completely trashed and <laughs> oil market. He had placed such a large trade that it pushed, uh, the, the, the rise in the price, uh, which is not something he was benefiting from. He was purely causing the rise in the price because there wasn't enough liquidity in the early, early morning market. I think it was. Uh, the rise in the price was such that it would it would actually be uh, attributed to a geopolitical event, you know, like someone blowing up an oil pipeline or something. Uh, <laughs> and of course, he got he got fired, and uh, he ended up <laughs> giving speeches on alcoholism and stuff. Um, but yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to be in that situation where you're actually moving the market with your own alcoholism, right? Yeah, it's probably not a great place to be. But yeah, I mean, you wonder about some of like, do you remember the uh, flash crash? Um, I can't remember exactly when it was a couple of years back and it, it got oh, traced uh, down to that. Was it? Was it yeah, it might've been, I think to that single trader. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't think he was drunk at the time, but he could very well have been the way that uh, he ended up moving the markets. But it's, do you know what? It's crazy to think, right? That an entire market can be, can be shifted by one unscrupulous player. I mean, you've got to question, like everyone talks about, and we, we know, we know how big and how powerful and, you know, how great the, the, the financial system is and how it builds wealth for, for the people and their billion billionaires and, you know, all this crazy stuff about how strong it is. But we, we are ever more reminded of how fragile the financial system can be as well. We, we, when you hear about things like that, how, how one, 
one uh, one actor can can move an entire market, can cause a flash crash, which triggers off a, a, a set of events that you know puts people into margin calls and, and and can eliminate and erode wealth in literally literally the, the press of a button. I mean, you've well, got I mean, to question you know the whole system when those sorts of things happen. Yeah, we. I I I just checked. By the way, we are. Uh, we we time has been getting ahead of us. I'm afraid, Sam. Uh, the flash crash was in 2010. Twenty uh, so ten. Oh, I feel old now. More than yeah, no, it was more than a decade ago because it was on there May sixth. So you know, where it is actually over a decade since the flash crash happened. I was uh, I was but a boy at the time, but uh, <laughs> I do I, I do remember it happening. I you know the from what I've read of it, um, I feel in the the media and the establishment sort of financial institutions blamed it on one guy, and they you know they yeah. got this this Patsy, the Hound of Hounslow. Uh, a very interesting gentleman living in Uxbridge who'd managed to make some, uh, who'd made a, a few alterations to his trading software that allowed him to uh, do lots of spoof trades. So for those who are listening, it's where you, uh, you place a lot of trades in the market, which you don't intend on actually filling. So you cancel them. So you place lots of orders. So the market thinks there are suddenly loads of orders and then you cancel them before anyone can actually take you up on that order. Uh, and as a result, so the market believes a sudden demand or sudden, uh, a sudden lack of demand. You know, they believe there's suddenly a lot of selling pressure when there isn't actually any and it's just one guy. But th there was, it was just one guy. But whether or not he actually caused the crash is actually a subject of debate. And the guy has gotten, at, you know, he got the book, you know, really thrown at him. But uh, generally, my, my, my perception of the event, from what little you know, reading I've done of it, is more the, uh, the proliferation of high-frequency high trading strategies uh, and the amount, of, um, you know, the, amount of, the amount of market participants who are trying to make money within the day by skimming lots of small different trades was what, what was responsible for the crash in creating this sort of fragility uh, in it. If you, by the way, if you, uh, if you haven't actually listened to it, there is an audio feed of somebody who is actually in the market at the time of the flash crash. So, you know, even though uh, it's, you know, markets are now just mostly computers and there's people selling orders over the internet mm. uh, and the like, there are still people who trade in the New York Stock Exchange. And there is a recording of a guy who is a, I believe he's a market maker, who is just calling out what is going on in the market uh, over the microphone for everybody listening to it. And he's he's calling it out as it, as this a, a play by play, so to speak. Yeah, and it is incredible. You can just hear like his blood pressure through his voice. It is incredible. Like he just keeps raising his voice and voice, and you know, getting louder. And he's like he's speaking so fast because because it's part of his job to you know call out all the orders really really fast. But he uh, it is you can just feel like his his own disbelief of what is happening as it happens. Uh, it's a it's a real winner. Winner. Perhaps we could uh, we could post it on our on our Twitter feed. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I've I've actually not heard that before. So mm. uh, you'll have to send me that yeah. link too, and uh, and I'll check that out because that sounds absolutely brilliant. That's like it, it's yeah. <laughs> like yeah, sometimes you see on online um, yeah uh, wizards with the with the computer being able to put um, you know uh, commentary over the top of, of something that's completely different to what the commentary was originally intended for. Like I've, I've heard a few times, you know, um, WWE wrestling commentary put over just a video of somebody, you know, doing falling over or something stupid in the street that, you know, you just combine these two things. It's, it's a bit like that. You know, you could start to apply um, sports commentary to markets at the moment. You, you could have just somebody watching a, 
uh, live feed of the the Dow or the NASDAQ or, or the FTSE or, or anything like that and just giving it a full sports commentary rundown of, of what's happening because it's 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 that wild at the moment um, yeah. I mean or even like for individual stocks like like Wirecard like we said you know log in on Monday for the for the live commentary on Sky Sports uh, Sky Sports Markets and just get the play-by-play of the insanity that's that's unraveling as you know as we speak yeah there was uh vitalik buterin the uh the uh ethereum uh, founder of course uh, i don't need to remind you of who the guy is sam uh, but he was the uh to, to those listening vitalik buterin uh, and he a very interesting individual uh very talented of course uh who founded ethereum and uh, you know made huge amounts of bank uh, from the big crypto boom but he said uh, uh i think it was just um Let's see. This is, I think it was about a month ago. He said uh, on Twitter, he made a, a post that was rather amusing where he said, what we expected was that cryptocurrency would normalize and become more like the stock market. But what happened is that the outside world yeah. went crazy and the stock market became more like cryptocurrency. I, I did see that this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, cra- it's crazy that everyone, uh, like through, through 2017 and, and 2018, uh, you know, that, that, that crypto boom, uh, that, that people often reference um, the amount of times where people are like, whoa, 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 I'm not getting involved in this stuff. This is just far too risky. It's far too volatile. You know, I can't deal with these kinds of, you know, intraday swings or, or weekly swings or price gains and falls. It's like too risky. It's just too volatile. And yet that's exactly what's playing out in the markets at the moment. And no one, and I genuinely mean this, I have not seen anyone come out and say, you know what? The market is too risky. It's too volatile. Everybody should avoid it. It's a big scam and it's all going to go to zero. I mean, nobody has said the stock market is going to zero. No one. (laughs) Because that's just not what's going to happen. And so I think it's naive for, and stupid, really, for people that are happy to look at the stock market and say that it's perfectly transparent it's perfectly clear, it's perfectly honest. And then look at crypto and crypto markets and just say, no, it's just one big scam because they're equally as risky as the other. What we've seen this year, I don't see there really being any great separation from when you look at at risk and, and, and risk of markets, they're the same. They're the same sorts of risks. It just depends on how you come to your assessment and conclusion of, of the, the underlying value within those markets. Um, that, that's always up for the debate. And, and as it should be always up for debate, just like the value of any company at any given time is up for debate. The, the, the value of Tesla is up for debate at any given time because you can't tell me that the, its stock price and its valuation now is based purely on, on, on fundamentals. You, you have to apply a FOMO premium in there that people have literally just piled into it because of FOMO, which is exactly what happened in the crypto market. So I think people that are very much, I'm all about the markets and not about crypto, uh, I think they're ignorant. Well, uh, you know, that's what, that's what makes a market, Sam. You know, it's a difference of opinion. That is, that is exactly what makes a market is, is that argument. And long may it continue, you know? Uh, I, think, I, think it is, I think it's great that we, that we still have these kind of debates. I think it's when people say, um, I'm actually just going to dump everything into a tracker fund. Uh, I think that's 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 when that's 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 a bad thing, right? That's that's. Oh God, help me! Right. I mean that that is what we're trying to avoid. Um, so I I you know I think 
uh, you know, the market market debate should be an all out brawl. It should be oh, absolutely, you know, it should be aggressive. It should be intense. You know, it's not, there's not, it's not like it's hard feelings about market participants. It's just, you know, completely diff- fundamentally different views on the world. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sport in which if you, if you get it right, uh, I mean, you, you, you actually, uh, you, you are rewarded in the pursuit of it, right? It's its, it's own reward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I think, like you said, it's not personal. You know, if if, if, I've, if I offend anyone by saying they're ignorant for ignoring crypto markets, it's not personal. I just think you're ignorant. That I, I've got friends that I think are ignorant, but they're still my friends. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's it's what I see. And, and you're right, it causes so much debate. And it should cause debate because it's, you know, it's an exciting part of life uh, yeah, I mean, and the world a, and the world that we live in. It's, yeah, it's a debate over what the future of the world is going to look like, which is inherently mm. unknowable. Um, and of course, of course, there should, there should always be debate of what it is and speculation of what, what, it, what it's going to be. But uh, Sam, I think we should, uh, in terms of the, the beer and how far through it, I don't know. Uh, yeah, not, I'm uh, right at the end of mine. Right. Yeah. What, how, would you, how would you rate this one before we crack on to the next one? Well, I, uh, I really enjoyed that. Except for one thing. I am now looking into the empty bottom of my glass and the set of sediment that has gathered in the bottom looks like uh, the, the, the skin of a frog has fallen off and just congealed in the bottom of my glass, oh, which, which, is, which is quite uh, disturbing. But that doesn't take anything away from the actual taste and enjoyment of that uh, El Dorado IPA. I really really liked that and even at seven percent that didn't taste overly alcoholic it i think it's that's with some ipas that have got high alcohol content they for me they tend to sort of sit in the stomach and make you feel quite bleh. but um that was quite quite crisp um easy to drink um like you said it, it certainly has a, i think it has a bit of that ipa that classic ipa but just a little bit harder edge to it but yeah. I, uh, I, I like that a lot. So now if we're looking at our inverse investment grade rating system, where uh, the triple B rating is our highest rating that we can give and yep. our triple uh, A rating is the lowest rating that we can give. Um, I, I enjoyed that enough to give that, um, I think I'd, put, I'd, I'd sit that as a, as a B plus for me, actually, I think. It, it was it wasn't top shelf compared to now we've got a few beers under our belt um and and we can sort of compare them against others um obviously the other week nature's mysterious patterns got a very high rating from me with a with a double b plus i don't think it's up there but i enjoyed it enough that i would drink a couple uh without much fuss probably buy it again so yeah i'm going to give that a, a b plus for me yeah yeah, this is a uh, yeah, this is a this is a good beer. Uh, very hazy, uh, I would say. It does take yep. the, the the sort of the strength kind of wins out a little bit more. It's a good thing that the uh, the sediment that you are witnessing at the bottom of your glass was not visible while you were drinking it. Perhaps that would have uh, that would have turned me off a bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm actually looking through my glass now because I've almost finished mine. I think either I've been really lucky or the sediment has somehow managed to stay within the can. So I think I've, uh, I've dodged that bullet there. Uh, but in terms of uh, my rating for it, as you say, we've got the, uh, the, as this is the Booze, Booms and Busts podcast, it is triple B that is the best. Uh, and going down from triple B to double B, single B, and single A, double A, triple A, 
Um, I would give this, I think I would give it a B, which is a good rating. It's not uh, exceptional, but it is a good rating. I think this is, um, you know, it does, does pack a punch, but it's not, it's not too strong and it does taste, taste good. You know, take, if you like IPAs, chances are you're going to like this unless you've got some serious aversion to, uh, you know, strong flavor and strong, strong alcohol, I would say. That was El Dorado IPA, a deluxe edition, no less. And with a very, uh, very attractive label, I must say. Uh, it really does, uh, really does evoke that kind of uh, sort of South American mystery yeah. vibe, I would say. And you know, oh, it's, it's, I was oh, no, just going to say, it's one, of those, it's one of those sorts of labels that, you know how some people like to display uh, the alcohol bottles that they've consumed, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe it's something that you, that you do when you're a bit younger, but uh, this is one of, those, one of those kinds of ones that you'd, you'd put up and you'd want sort of in a prominent position, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, what what they call it, an icebreaker. Something you put in your room. So yeah. you conversation. Whereas compared to our next one, that's uh, how would you how would you describe the heed banger label, bias? Yes, you know, I'd actually <laughs> studied. I'd I'd only bought. I only suggested that we get this and add it to our list to to get because it had that name heed banger, which I found quite curious as. Uh, Heedbanger, I mean, you'd, you'd expect it's someone with a Scottish accent or uh, someone who's been raised in Scotland uh, using the word heed instead of head. However, heed is spelt with two E's here. So H-E-E-D, heedbanger, whereas in Scotland, that would actually be H-E-I-D for heedbanger, um, right. so, which I found kind of curious, and it's got an interesting name, so I went for it. But now I'm looking at the label, and I must say, quite curious um some would say grizzly in fact this reminds me of perhaps i mean it looks effectively like some kind of you know a flower like a sunflower except it's been made with uh, it's a photograph uh, i don't i'm i'm presuming these aren't real maybe they're plastic but it's of uh, skulls that's a good question bones. yeah and yeah, it looks like it, sort it's of a poppy or an something an organized mass grave it's it's quite at when, at a distance you kind of go oh that's that's interesting and then you get closer and actually see the skulls and what appear to be thigh bones uh, arranged yeah. in the way that they are and i would love to know if that is just something that has been either painted or created whether that's an actual photo of somewhere because if it's an actual photo that's terrifying yeah i uh, yeah i mean it would um it would be somewhat disturbing if somebody had disturbed so many graves uh, and only gone for the skulls. None of the jawbones, I note, and just what looks like, as you say, the femurs. Um, and it's sort of displayed as though it's sort of a, like a poppy. So you've got like all the skulls in the middle and then all of the uh, sort of thigh bones around it with a, in, uh, you know, flaring out and then another row of skulls. Uh, yeah, heedbanger, I guess that's what... Uh, what, what, what sort of inspired it, it reminds me of yeah. uh, you know catacombs and stuff yeah that's what, what i was thinking like the, the the catacombs yeah hmm. but onto the actual bit i'm like having a sniff of this and it's got that earthy there's some earthy smell to that as well almost almost eggy sort of smell when i actually have the have a have a good sniff of it yes i see what you mean i see what you mean uh, i think that is I'm, well, I'm guessing I could be incorrect, but I have smelled on a load of other beers before. I'm guessing it is one of those hops that they yeah. have included in this. Maybe Amarillo, but I'm just guessing. I'm, yeah. I'm going right. to have to have do a hops, your hops study course. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we should know about the, um, what with the sort of hop bear market, how it's been so bad for the hop industry during the, uh, the Wu-Flu lockdown. 
due to the um, uh, due to the fact that you know no all all these pubs have shut down, so beer consumption uh, through that route at least has gone down, and that's caused a big problem for the hop industry. Uh, and so it'll be a real shame if some of uh, the UK's indigenous hops uh, go out of business or that there's a you know serious uh, sort of depression for the uh, for the UK hop industry. Hopefully there is a big enough turnout or at least large enough demand uh, from uh, from Britain's tomorrow that will uh, will help keep that thing going. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm kind of looking forward to I uh, I've got an early tee off uh, tomorrow morning at seven thirty, which is uh, you know I'm used to being up pretty early tomorrow, but uh, I've been getting the emails from the from the golf clubs that are saying happy days everybody tomorrow is the day um, i believe that the the, the the terminology super saturday is already being bundled about uh with the pubs reopening and that um you know they're saying the clubhouse is open you can come in and get a pint but you have to be seated if you're going to be inside or you otherwise you're going to go outside so there's no standing at the bar the bar staff will have ppe on which you know, means visors and masks and uh, there'll be Perspex screens around the bar. Um, it, it's going to feel very much like I am visiting somebody in prison and we are going to have a very brief cordial uh, conversation whereby I will leave said prison uh, with a pint in my hand. So it's, it's um, I don't know, it's going to be weird. It's not, it's not going to be like the uh, pub experience I'm used to. I am looking forward to, to getting a, a, a tap poured pint or, but at the same time, I, if, if, I mean, you've got to wonder, we talked, we've talked about pubs and, and pub stocks and pub investments before, but, um, and I think that, I think there'll be a crazy rush tomorrow. I, I, I genuinely believe that there's, it's going to be uh, almost terrifyingly scary about the amount of people that are going to go to the pub tomorrow. Um, yeah. And, and it will, there will be a somewhat of a new normal with how we enter and, and, and move about the, the pub environment. Um, but I don't think it's going to last, to be honest. But as I think by the end of the year, the requirement for PPE and Perspex and all of that sort of thing is going to disappear. And I'll tell you why, because yeah. I, for, for example, in the US, we have seen an, a huge spike in COVID uh, cases in the US. And what we're also seeing, based on the data available to us, is that the death rates and deaths continue to fall. So that kind of indicates that the testing regime is working in terms of there are more tests being done and more people are indeed testing positive to it, which you would expect as people start to pass it around to each other. But if the death rates continue to fall while the testing and positive cases continues to increase, that tends to indicate from what some were saying from the very start was that the actual mortality rates on this aren't as bad as they've been made out to be. And so while the the narrative of of endless fear has been rammed into everybody from the outset uh, and that people are genuinely terrified about being out in public uh I, I i still subscribe to the case that we'll be sitting over our christmas dinners eating turkey and looking back at the first six to eight months of this year and just wondering what the bloody hell happened what how did we get to the state that we're at today. It's just, 
a very strange situation. And I think that, that, that <laughs> what's happening in the pubs tomorrow, uh, I don't think, I think, you know, it'll be interesting, but I don't think it's going to last. Yeah. There are all manner of ways to sort of avenues, I guess we could go down. It does seem like I don't, um, there is so much difference in terms of different countries with how they're testing it, how they're counting, you know, how it's being recorded, the political incentives for, um, you know, how the data is being acquired, how it's being recorded, how it's being printed, how it's being presented, even from the way it's gathered from the very get-go. There are so many different changes from so many different countries with how they are actually recording, testing, deaths, you know, all of it. The entire, there are so many differences that when, um, you know, the FT has this, you know, live chart that you can use where you can see a number of cases, number of deaths uh, from different countries. And because, you know, the, it is so different from how one country is recording the same information to another that I, I can't trust any of it. So I, I generally actually try to stay away from the, um, you know, the, the reporting of how many uh, are, are being, how many people are being found to have it, how many people uh, have, di- have died from it. And, you know, people are doing it with uh, the different demographics, you know, the different ages and that. But I, I find it very hard to trust it when we're comparing one country to another. But I do agree, you know, if the, the number of, um, of people who are testing positive for it is going up, while the number of people dying from it is going down, it would suggest that either um, it's not as bad as we thought, or it, is, or it suggests that uh, the people who are, who are at most risk are, are, are doing the right thing and, and making sure that they're, they're insulated from it, right? They're, the people yeah. who are at risk of, of dying from it are uh, you know, making the right decisions and not, not putting themselves in the situation where they, where they could get it, which is, uh, you know, it, which is good, good news, I, I guess. It is. Yeah, it, so I was just to say, absolutely, is that you know the, the 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 vulnerable, the elderly, those with pre-existing conditions, should you know everything should have been thrown at protecting the the people, and still should be uh, the the most vulnerable. But you know, you just you, we we know for, and the data across all countries is the same, with the respect that it just does not impact young people in the same way at all, not even close. And there is so many other risks for young people. Uh, that are worth greater consideration than this, uh, and, and so it's 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 a it's a virus that discriminates, and yet all reaction to it from various countries doesn't discriminate in the population, and and in a in a time where it's it's political suicide to be discriminatory, it's like the worst storm for this sort of thing to happen, the worst situation for this sort of thing to happen, because you actually need to treat different sections of the community differently with something like this, but no government is going to do that for fear of pissing someone off, and so popularist um, uh, popularist politics has gotten in the way of appropriate responses to this and that's kind of an indictment of where the sort of general geopolitical um and and social i think stance on everything kind of sits right now is that um popularist politics has has become the you know the norm you know no no government is really looking beyond the end of their nose about how they can impact and shift economies forward uh, and the the modern monetary theory in practice to try and stave off uh, absolute calamity, you know, doesn't seem to be working. So it's it's interesting in that a time when uh, sections of the community need to be discriminated against in a good way, nobody actually has the balls to go out and do it. Yeah, I mean, I would I would probably say um, that it's not a populism issue. It's simply the I think it's simply the nature 
nature of the modern political establishment. I really don't think with an absence of populism, the outcome really would have been all, all that different. I mean, you can call me cynical, but I really don't think that, uh, you know, the incentives of those uh, in government and the people who are making decisions and then all of the sort of establishment forces behind them would have been much different if we'd, did, if we'd really, really been doing this in, say, uh, you know, 2010 or something. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, what, what the outcome will be of, of all of this, um, the, there is something uh, I thought was quite interesting with the, uh, everyone thinks of um, uh, 1929, you know, the Great Depression there, but they, they forget often that uh, in 1921 in the US, there was actually a, a massive depression, uh, which was actually not treated with really very much market intervention. So 1921, uh, was there was a great book written on it by Jim Grant of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, uh, though, and he called it the Forgotten Depression because nobody really remembers it. Uh, but that that depression at the very beginning, uh, which was uh, very quickly annulled by allowing the market to do its work and you know to allow uh, buyers to find sellers at whatever price that the uh, the buyers uh, really wanted and whatever the sellers could uh, provide. Um, you know, it, it, it killed the, this depression, not just a recession, a depression, very very quickly. And I, when we look at the 1920s, we always think of the roaring 20s, you know, and then, of course, the, the, the massive hangover at the end of it makes me think, um, you know, are we, uh, is this going to be our roaring 20s, right? So it mm. begins, we begin 2020 with this massive economic shock that very few people, uh, you know, anticipated to occur, at least to occur like this. It's then, we've then had the sink thrown at it. We've got so many, you know, there's so many different um, economic tools that are now being used by the government. Um, and you, we can argue over the effectiveness, whether or not it's good or bad, etc. But regardless, I mean, the, the government has now seized upon much greater fiscal power as a result of this. Uh, and, you know, it's not like they're going to put that toolbox away anytime soon. So we've got all of that, that engine now going. Uh, it makes me wonder whether or not this is going to be the beginning of our roaring 20s. Uh, because uh, when you've got all these people on lockdown, everybody under lockdown, you know, uh, huge amounts of people will be made unemployed. Uh, that's certainly true. Hopefully they'll get jobs again once we can reopen uh, and get this thing going again. But for the people who are still employed, I've been getting the, the kind of vibe that, uh, you know, people are really want to go out there, it, it, especially if you're not at risk of the virus or not as at risk of the virus, I should, I should add, um, as uh, you know, if you have pre-existing uh, pre conditions or if you are, uh, you know, you're older, I think, I think there is a lot of desire to go out there and spend and do, you know, it's a lot of love for action. Um, and you know, people want to, I think people want to take holidays. I think people want to, uh, I think they want to go out on the town. I think they want to spend, they want to buy stuff. They want to, you know, show off buying stuff. You know, I think there is all of the, this sort of pent up demand, like people talk yeah. about pent up demand all, all the time in uh, finance and economics and the like. But I think that this is really pent up demand from, uh, from uh, de definitely from the younger uh, sort of portions of the population. And I think when you combine that all of that energy with the um, the government now printing money effectively or finding ways to inject money to inject stimulus into the economy, uh, that this could end up being an absolutely wild uh, decade that begins with a really negative, uh, a really negative shock. Uh, you know what, I, sorry, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I 100% agree with that. I, I, I'm looking at the two beers that we have just drunk and maybe, maybe we drank them in the wrong order because I look at, I look at Heedbanger and I look at the label and it is, it's, it's, it's death. 
it, you know, there's God, God, there's freaking skulls and bones all over it. And then I look at the El Dorado IPA and it's colorful and it's, you know, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's optimistic. And I know that sort of sounds a little silly, but I think that's how this decade's going to play out. I think you're right. I think this is going to be the roaring twenties all over, but in the, in the, you know, 21st century that we, we kick, we've kicked this off so far um, with just a shit show. There's no other way I think of describing it. Um, but that, I think you'd be, you'd have to be pretty naive to think it's going to be like this for another 10 years or another nine and a half years. Um, and so I think, I think that's something that's a thread that I think people really need to get in their head that it's, and, and, and this is sort of, this is where I think the, the modern environment of um, instant gratification um, must have now, uh, must have instant delivery, you know, it gets the endorphins rushing when you click to buy and it buy is delivered straight away. And we want that now. And, and the, you know, the growth of being Insta famous and getting, getting likes and views and retweets and all that sort of stuff um, is, is very short term in nature. The world has become very short term in its view, in its thinking, uh, in, in just in society. But, I can't, I, I do not see that happening and continuing for the entire decade in terms of it being like this. You, you, at no point really in history, um, a give, give or take during, you know, world war periods, has it continued on for such a length of time. And I think this decade is going to be no different and that we're probably just getting the shit out of the way early on. And that as we move through it, the the turn up and 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 the opportunities that it's going to create for people to you know there's going to be new new jobs there's going to be new industry as we push through technology advances you know things like artificial intelligence and, and robotics and um even you know even the push now back into into space and communications using satellite technology or even you know going into low earth orbit and space um, you know, these are all sorts of things that uh, are going to help drive, you know, economies and the world forward over the next decade. And that brings great optimism, great opportunity. I know sometimes we talk about, you know, pretty dire things like, like busts and, and, and market crashes. And, you know, that we, we're certainly dealing now with a very difficult period in the world's history, but it won't last forever. And I don't even think it'll last for the decade. I don't even think it'll last for another year, but, uh, it's hard to get your get your head around the fact that there could be a very 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 brighter day on the short horizon. It's hard for people to get, when you're just bombarded with the instant, you know, this instant desire for information and 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 all that, you know, instant gratification. To to be optimistic about what's coming is difficult now. I think it's more difficult now to be optimistic about tomorrow than it was, uh, you know, ten years ago or when I first sort of started in finance and, and the industry uh, or when I was at uni or anything like that, you know, when I was at uni in the early parts of the two thousands, um, you know, it was, it was hard. It was, it was easier to be optimistic about the world then than it is now. Uh, and I, I, that's hard for young people. It's hard for generations now to see that they can still get ahead, but I think there's great cause to be optimistic about what's coming. Yeah. There's a, um, at, at the end of last year, I remember, um, you know, over at uh, South Lake Investment Research, where we both work, uh, our publisher asked uh, uh, several of our editors to come up with some uh, some predictions for for what the 2020s as as a decade were going to be. 
Uh, and I, you know, this is um, this is before this was before uh, you know even uh, the the Wu flu epidemic has had really um, you know this is before then that we were even hearing of any news of it because I remember there weren't there was news of it in in December to some degree. But it was before that, uh, and I was uh, my my description for it uh, would be uh, you know uh, I just took it from the tale of two cities where it was the it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. <laughs> uh, that that massive dichotomy between how things are, are going to shit uh, while at the same time there are these huge opportunities there are you know there's there is, there is wealth creation to some degree um, and I think you know I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that but just because uh, this year there seems to have been that kind of dichotomy at least going on in the stock market where you've got you know this absolutely um, absolutely you know brutal uh, sort of forced depression to some degree uh, while at the same time uh, you know asset prices have continued being inflated now i may be speaking far too soon because of course we are uh, i believe in fact it was only yesterday yesterday we were officially 50 percent through 2020 uh, so we, right. are only, yeah. we are only 50 percent through uh, but it does seem to be going that way so far for this year with the best of times and the worst of times and at the same time even when even when you get you know, stock market crashes. You know, we were talking about the flash crash earlier, and we were talking about, um, you know, how, how you, well, you uh, said it was uh, an example of how fragile the system is. To me, I look at it a different way. The, I think this is, the, the fact that the flash crash happened, like, all that happened was a load of stocks went down in price very, very, very quickly, right? That's it true. wasn't that, well, when we talk about systems collapsing, I mean, that's really when the system collapses when we don't, engage with each other right the the way system collapse markets collapse when there is refusal there is no there is not simply buying and selling at a at a much lower price you know this this collapses when we refuse to voluntarily exchange goods or services with each other right that's that's the antithesis mm -hmm. of civilization is where we're, we're not interested in mutually you know mutually beneficial voluntary exchange so provided that is still ongoing I think that you know it doesn't matter. It, okay, you know it's, it's simply the market working, right? If we, if the fact that the market now values a stock marked markedly differently from the way it did three hours ago, okay, but at least we are still, you know, at least we are still interacting with that exchange. If you don't want to sell your stock for this markedly lower price, you don't have to sell it, right? Mm. Um, so generally, I think that you know it, the, this, the fragility of it, I mean, I think it's still robust to the degree that there are still participants. So provided we're still participating with it, then um, you know, the, the system's still working. But, and even a bust, like even when stocks go down a huge degree, this is still an opportunity either for somebody who, who, was, who, who believed that things were overvalued, you know, they can still make money with it going down. They can become hugely wealthy uh, from being a short seller, from, from betting on things going down as anyone listening who's watched the big short uh, will, is, sure to, uh, is sure, to, sure to understand. But at the same time, you know, when, when asset prices get crushed uh, and, you know, the, the in, investing wealth is seemingly lost overnight, that still gives an opportunity for those who, who wish to buy it at low levels. So if you, you've been thinking, um, one of the things for me that I, uh, you know, I, there are loads of stocks I wish I owned, right? I, that I want to own, in fact. However, I don't simply because the valuation is too high, right? I, key to actual strong investment performance is always the, is always the entry price. It's the price you pay for things. You can have the best investment in the world, uh, but if you bought it at, say, you know, the, the dot-com P 
peak, for example, uh, that's something that's is often used. You buy Amazon at the dot com peak, and you still lose a huge amount of your money um, for several years before it regained its value. And so it's always valuation that's a that, that's a high, that always it always makes it hard for me to uh, want to go and actually buy. Uh, some of these shares because the valuation to my eyes uh, is too is too great. Now I could be wrong, as we're saying. You know, markets are a are a conversation. They are a debate. They can be a very intense debate as uh, you know how valuable these companies are. Um, but it's something always uh, that's for me is quite big because I'm quite a conservative investor. So you know I'm not always wanting to go uh, go crazy on risk. I mean I say I can, I'm conservative. I mean I'm still speculated on crypto and all, all that. <laughs> but the uh, but at the same time the. You know, for, for something for me that uh, holds me back from actually buying a lot of the shares, you know, when we're talking about cash on the sidelines and all that kind of thing, I'm, I am one of those individuals who doesn't want to de deploy cash yet. Um, and the, you know, what holds me back is still that valuation. But during yeah. a bust, that gives that opportunity for people who have been waiting for a lower valuation to actually start participating and start injecting their own capital into that market. So, you know, we... Uh, it, even though it's uh, it can be really bad for stocks and and, and the like, um, and it can be bad, you know, the, there is still uh, the worst of times out there. There are still these opportunities for those, uh, at least those who are, who are lucky enough to have some capital to, to deploy into them, and to to be able to make an opportunity out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right. You know, from from crisis when it comes to the markets, uh, where there's crisis, there's opportunity, and I think that rings true. And I think the other thing that probably rings true is the great Simpsons quote, uh, which, which, which harks back to what you were saying before. Uh, it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times uh, <laughs> when, when the monkeys are writing and Homer submits uh, his piece to Mr. Burns. Um, so let's uh, let, well, wrap this up uh, perhaps and, and, and have a look at what you think of the uh, heed banger uh, India pale ale. Um, I'll uh, contribute my thoughts in a second, but uh, but what are your thoughts on this one, Boaz? Yeah, quite, quite. I think with the uh, by the way, with the with the best of times and the blurst of times, is that a uh, is that is that usage of the bluetered uh, description for somebody being drunk, perhaps the uh, the uh, it, it it does it does play into that as well. <laughs> well, I, I, would, I would certainly hope so. Your by the way, Sam, your your description of uh, entering the pub earlier. Uh, I must say, I mean, you, the way you describe it with everybody's going to be wearing PPE gear and everybody you say you, you have to book a table. I have, I have inquired at a few pubs around me and indeed uh, they are saying that if you want to be inside, you need, you need to book one. Um, but the way you describe it with the, uh, the great Perspex screens and everything, um, it does seem like uh, it's sort of like an inverse uh, prison smuggling operation where instead yeah. of you actually going inside to give something to the inmate. You're, you're the one going inside to then try and smuggle something out, which I find rather amusing. The, maybe uh, we're the inmates all along, Boaz. Maybe, maybe indeed. But in it's very meta. Of, <laughs> very meta indeed. Uh, uh, yeah. De 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 so what do you think of Heatbanger? Yeah, Heatbanger, I would say, uh, let's see. So <laughs> yeah. Heatbanger, this is interestingly the brewery uh, by the River Brew, who were responsible, I believe, for uh, for some of our uh, more highly rated beers that we had yes. in in earlier podcasts. And this one, I'm afraid, is to my eyes at least somewhat disappointing. So yeah. I think it, it does have a quite curious smell. I think that is brought about by some of the hops on it. But in terms of uh, the taste, it did start off 
quite negative. It was quite quite strong. It has gotten better. Uh, uh, the more I drink of it, the more it does taste uh, a little more sort of clearer. It's a bit smoother. Uh, but overall, I would give this an A. I would give I, at the beginning. I would have given it an A minus, but uh, I think for now, I'm just going to give it an A. What would you take of it? What, what's your take on it, Sam? Yeah, I look. This, the smell wasn't great to start with. The taste for me, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just too, it's too, too earthy. It's, it's just a bit. It tastes dirty to me. Um, you know, it's. I think it's going to be an acquired taste for people. Uh, it's not up my alley at all. I've still got three quarters of it remaining, to be honest with you. Three uh, quarters, mate. Yeah, I've really struggled with this one. Um, having said that, By the River Brew have done some f- fantastic beers that we've had already. This one's just not for me. and uh, It might be the combination of hops that they use, like you say. But uh, this, this sucker's getting the worst rating from me so far, which is a double A rating. Damn. Damn, double A, I must say. Yeah. That, is, uh, that is harsh, Brutal. but you know, it, is, uh, it, is, it isn't the best beer. I mean, let's, uh, let's be clear about it. <laughs> Perhaps it was uh, you know, something of the, uh, the, the framing of the beer. I mean, they've, they've started out by giving it quite a dire label. Um, yeah. you know, it's not going to inspire a lot, of, unless you're somehow into cannibalism or something. You're probably not going to be all that inspired by the label and think this is going to be an absolutely delicious beer. Um, yeah, and it does have that interesting spelling. Why, why he banger and not with an I and not with an A either? But uh, yeah, I mean that's the uh, that is uh, that that is that. I guess that is probably one of our. Probably, I think that's probably the the worst the worst beer that we've been through actually since we we started this podcast. So far, yes. Yeah, this is a is a, is a strange one. Well, Sam, would you like to give any? Would you like to share with our listeners some closing remark before we tie up this podcast? Uh, look, I think we've covered a fair bit uh, today. Um, I, uh, I would highly recommend people get some El Dorado IPA um, <laughs> for a start. Uh, you know, have a crack of the headbanger too. You never know. It might be right up your street. Um, but, you know, again, the markets, the, the, the economy has is, is provided some, some pretty crazy action this week. And uh, I expect next week it's going to do the same. And I look forward to everybody joining us again next week for another episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. Quite. It is. Uh, I, I'm kind of impressed that we've actually managed to make it to episode four, Sam. It is. Uh, it's been, it seems like we've been Victory! on a journey already. But uh, no, we shall. We shall, of course, continue it. Uh, to all who are listening, do give us a follow on Twitter. We do have a an official Twitter handle for this, uh, and we now are on iTunes as well, Spotify, which is uh, which is very good indeed. Uh, you can also follow Sam and myself on Twitter. If you just search for our names, you should be able to find us relatively quickly. My handle is at Federal Excess. And Sam just used his own name, so it's at Sam Volkering. But we shall be back again with another episode of Booze, Booms and Busts next week. In the meantime, I hope you have a very good weekend. And indeed, I hope you enjoy Independence Day as we celebrate it as much as we can. Freedom! Exactly. (laughs) Probably not without as much gusto as the Americans can. Almost freedom! It's uh, pub freedom, I guess. Pub Uh, freedom! Right. I think it'll be, uh, it'll be quite a day. It'll be quite a day, one Indeed. way or another. It will be uh, definitely a day to experience. But that is all for now. I uh, hope you tune in to, our next, to next week's podcast. We shall be back again, probably around the same time. Uh, but until then, I hope you have a good one.